I went totally off in the opposite direction. I took almost 10 years and did nothing except drive from one side of the country to the other, back and forth, and learned what the world was and learned who I was. And that's when all of a sudden I realized, wow, I, 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 I'm, I've been totally approaching my life in the wrong direction. But it took a lot of soul searching along the way and a lot of miles on a car <laughs> to be able to get to that point, you know? Yo, 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 everybody, and welcome to another fist pumping episode of The Arch Up, her newer now podcast. I am your host, Heath Armstrong, always here for you to push the creativity to the limits, change the world, one fist pump at a time, break the rules, but first break the rulers, and I'm extremely excited for my guest today, Gray Cross. This is episode 79. 79. Artsynow.com forward slash 79 for the show notes or artsynow.com forward slash Gray Cross. You can get on the website and, and get all the show notes for any show. You can listen to any of the episodes. And there are quite a few blog posts on there as well. And I love comments and, and I love hearing from anybody out there in any way that you can relate. So please give me your feedback. Uh, and I, I just honestly love connecting with all of you. Uh, we can chat on Skype. We can. We can get together in person, pound some Guinness, and run around with our pants down. Whatever you whatever you want to do, I'm up for it. I'm open. So, Everybody out there that has left me a review on iTunes, once again, thank you so much for that. It's pushing the show forward. We are continuing to be in that top 200 range in business careers. I would love to push it up and get it in the top 100. And the only way I can do that is with your all's help. So if you have the ability to get on and, and take a moment on iTunes, I really would appreciate that. You can go to artsynow.com forward slash iTunes. It'll take you straight to a web page. And on that page, it'll likely ask you to open in iTunes, which is what you need to do. And as soon as it pops up in iTunes, you can you can see where you can leave the ratings and reviews. Uh, Stitcher also works, and I really appreciate everybody who has taken the time to do that as well. Back to the creativity. I've got on Gray Cross again, like I had mentioned, and incredible artist. Just creates like I've never seen before. His talents are unbelievable. He, he's he got these just like 3D sculpture-based paintings that are just gigantic. Uh, he's putting all different things. He's gluing them on. He's He's got such a powerful message behind each one of these pieces of artwork as well. I highly suggest you get in and check him out. You can get him on Twitter at Twitter.com forward slash Graycross Studio. And I believe he's got links on his profile that'll take you to his blog, which is graycrossstudio.blogspot.com. Seriously, stop what you're doing right now and check that out unless you are driving. Don't do that if you're driving. Check it out later. I decided to leave the pre-chat into this, this episode because we just started talking about cool things. We connected and it just kept running and running and running. And I just... Uh, I think I think it's awesome to hear it every once in a while. I think he's an awesome dude, very cool, very interesting. He's down in New Orleans, and I hope that you all enjoy listening through the pre-chat. If you don't want to hear the pre-chat, you can skip ahead about 10 to 12 minutes, and it'll it'll start into the regular interview. So, once again, all the show notes, artsynow.com forward slash 79. Come on, everybody, let me hear that beat. Come on, come on, everybody, let me hear that stickity stickity rickety dickity beat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Well, here we go now. Who wants to get a little bit funky out there? Who wants to get a little creative out there, huh? Yeah. Which one of you wants to get a little bit artsy now? Well, I do, I do. Well, then get on with your bad selves, yeah. With that 
Are you in New Orleans? I am. New Orleans, however it may be pronounced correctly. Yeah, everybody pronounces it differently. And and where are you? My dad's actually down there right now, too. Oh, is he really? Yeah. Uh, I'm in Lexington, Kentucky. Oh, yeah. I know Lexington real well. I was down there for Jazz Fest last year, which was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the best part about that, though, is the late night shows. Not necessarily the festival, but man, there's some good music. Oh, it sure is. I had never been before until this past year. And my partner is a super big fanatical fan for Billy Joel. Oh, yeah. And somebody managed to get us tickets that were behind the stage on a on a podium, you know, like yeah. a, a, set, a tiered set of seats that were behind so we could see him from the side instead. And we were like 12 feet from him. <laughs> and it was just <laughs> such an amazing experience. I want to go again next year. That's awesome. I saw he's, <laughs> he's doing some other festivals this year. I saw, I think he's like, isn't he on Bonnaroo's list this year? And then I think he's headlining Bonnaroo. I could be wrong. <laughs> He is just everywhere for his age. He is just amazing, you know. And now Madison Square Gardens, I think it is, is is his exclusive venue. He does a show every single month there now. That's that's crazy. What a yeah. I mean, that's huge. Yeah, and he fills it every single time. Oh, I'm sure he'll probably continue to fill it as long as he doesn't sell out to one place. Though I mean, yeah, I mean, Elton John probably sells out everything in Vegas still every show. Oh, I'm sure he does. And when you get the two of them together, where they do a dual concert, God, it's crazy. Oh, geez. Uh. <laughs> yeah, man. We I saw Paul Rogers from the side stage last year, which was pretty yeah. awesome. Uh, we a previous guest I had on the show actually, Jacob Sesney. He's a saxophone player, a younger kid, mm-hmm. just unbelievable musician. Uh-huh. And he came on one of the first. I think it was episode twelve, maybe somewhere around uh-huh. there, maybe fourteen. Back in like June or July, and after I got off with him, he was like, "Hey, by the way, we're playing up a show up in Kettering, Ohio, which is only a couple hours from me." He's right. like, "I'll leave some tickets if you want to come." And it was happened to be my birthday, so I was like, "Yeah, I mean, we'll go up there." Because <laughs> yeah. he was he was playing with Casey Abrams, who was a big uh, he was a big fan favorite on the show American Idol a long time ago, but he's mm-hmm. like this really awesome soul stand-up bass playing musician. I mean, multi-talented. Uh, him and Jacob, and then another guy known named Taylor who ended up being on the show. Also, he played guitar, and they were a trio, and they opened for Paul Rogers. And I didn't even know <laughs> they were opening for Paul Rogers till I got there, and I got the tickets, and it said Paul Rogers, and I was like, "Wait, what?" And uh, <laughs> So I go in, and of course our seats are right up front, and and we're sitting next to these two groupy girls that they also gave tickets to that were just you know about to go backstage, and right right as soon as they were done playing, and I could tell <laughs> like <laughs> they were losing their minds, and uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. We went, we went backstage and watched Paul Rogers from the side stage, and and that was that was pretty awesome, man. He's you know he's such a huge name, so that is really cool, and he's still killing it. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, he looked good, young, fit. Well, so. yeah, if you're doing what you love, <laughs> that's true. You know, it just kind of happens. I remember his wife being there, and she was just like the nicest person ever, and just like would not stop asking if there was things that we needed. I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's really cool. I think she really, really enjoyed Casey's show because it was mm-hmm. unbelievable, and he he closed with some song that he did called like cougar town or something so i think he was probably just staring right at her <laughs> he made some right. kind of in- interconnection with her you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> so is your actual name gray cross or is that your art name that is my art name it's actually my writing name long before i was an artist i was a writer awesome and i wrote under that name and failed miserably and just <laughs> kept the name straight through cool um through my metamorphosis of creativity i guess you could say yeah well, yeah, I was just but, wondering. I'm going to use it in the show, so that's fine. Nobody knows me under any other name these yeah. days, except somebody that's known me all 20 years. My best friend knows me, <laughs> you know, under my original name, but nobody else does. Yeah, I had a I had another artist on who was like that. I I asked him. I said, well, "What's your real name?" And he wouldn't give it to me. And I was like, "I'm not going to." He's like, "Don't tell anybody." And I'm like, "I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm just wondering, you know, if I email you or something." He's like, "No, just use his." He went by the Artful Dodger. 
Oh, I like that. And he's a uh, he was one of the first aerosol street riders in London. Came out of the eighties and ended up like breaking it big on the media and went from the streets to working for like Lucas Films, doing all their artwork and stuff. It's pretty crazy. Wow. And then he now he, he's and he's really not that old, which is he doesn't look it at least. And now he's back in London doing. Uh, he's trying to kickstart some some kind of art space where they can bring younger people in. Mm-hmm. and allow them to network with other younger people and set up art exhibits and things like that. Sort of like, you know, I've got a bio of you and so, sort of sounds similar to your the course that you would like to put together with with children and all that. In the- yeah, well, I just see so many underprivileged kids and it just, it breaks my heart because I know some of them could just be so talented if they were just given the chance. Yeah, I know. We can get into all that in the show if you want to start and... I, I, that's, that's exactly cool. whatever, why, whatever you want to talk about. I'm not real good at stuff like this. So just kind of lead me on and I'll just, oh, talk it'll, to be, you. it'll be all good, man. We're, we'll be fine. And, and I will, I'm pretty good at the leading on thing. Uh, is, is, as far as the artspreneur now though, that's the exact same kind of reason I started the whole thing was cause I plan on, um, being able to give back to the underprivileged. I mean, in Kentucky, if you go to Eastern Kentucky, it's like, mm-hmm. you would not believe <laughs> probably, I would not I would not be like over exaggerating or anything if I said probably 35% of the kids out there don't know how to read oh, and probably shame. 15 to 20% of the adults <laughs> which is which is insane. Yeah. And really and they are brainwashed to think by their parents who have never left those small towns that there's nothing good outside of those small towns in the mountains with the coal towns mm-hmm. and that they can't do anything else and they shouldn't be on computers and that there's nothing worth doing except for, you know, drinking clear moonshine and blowing stuff up or whatever they do. So much more. I know. And so I'm trying to bring creativity back to that. It's just, it's, it's super sad, man. Yeah. But yeah, love, love to see, see fellow people on the same lines of thinking and together we can change the world, man. Well, my studio is, I, we, we, have a duplex. It's not a very big duplex, but we live on one side of it. And our studios are on the other side of it, but it's not in a real great part of town. The funny thing is it's only four blocks from the really great part of town, but where we're at is kind of like the other side of the tracks. And I just see so many kids that come by and you can tell they just really want to know about things yeah. and nobody gives them the chance. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They're so children are so, um, uh, I, what's the word I'm looking for? Are they curious about yeah. everything. I mean, I was, and I, it would get you in trouble sometimes, but that's good. You learn things. That <laughs> you way. do. You do. Well, to be honest, I, I'm working on a quite a large sculpture today that I've been working on for the last few weeks. And I wanted to take it out in the sunshine and photograph it today. So I set my table up and brought it out and photographed it and I'm getting ready to bring it back in. And I got swarmed by about 30 kids. I don't think any of them was over the age of 10. And it freaked me out so much. Here, me, who wants to teach kids, <laughs> it, it, it freaked me out so much. And they all wanted to play with it, which freaked me out even more. You know, the anal artist. And I'm trying to back away <laughs> into the door with it. And, of course, what do I do? I turn around fast and rip the top of it right off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, wow, yeah, I do real great with kids. <laughs> <laughs> the Jeez. grumpy old artist, but you know, I, I I really have a desire to see something in that area happen eventually. That's awesome, though. Yeah, what a, what a good story. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was pretty funny too. Plus, I knocked all the paints off one of my shelves, and all the kids laughed. So I guess I gave them some humor. Oh <laughs> uh, well, of course. Yeah. Well, I'm going but, to um, get right into the show so we don't miss anything else good that you talk about. <laughs> That's fine. They're all going to end up putting the entire pre-show into the interview. <laughs> That's cool. Are there is there anything that is off limits or you prefer not to no, talk no, about? No, not or? at all. Nothing's okay. off limits. Fantastic. Anything in depth, in detail. People like stories and and to be honest, when I poll the audience and mm-hmm. and I talk to and most of them are artists. I do have right. a lot of creative entrepreneurs, but but I think most of them that actually reach out and connect are artists in. And I ask them what they like about the show. Mm-hmm. The majority will say their favorite part is the real life struggle stories because they know that they're not the only ones. And and then how you get out of those 
boys uh, have for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah. just pure value from any, it doesn't matter who you're talking to, but, but in general with artists, I think it's so interesting because the creativity in, in inside people's minds, you can obviously put it out. Like your, your work is the most unique thing I've ever seen. I don't, well, thank you. I've never seen anybody do anything that looks like what you're doing. <laughs> which <laughs> well, is why I right. like it so week, much. It'll be completely different again. <laughs> I know, but I love it. And I used to make these like 3D um, when I was a kid. I used to use plaster and mm-hmm. and some other things. I don't even know what it was, all sorts of different textured items. And I would make these like 3D maps because I was really obsessed with geography for some reason. Yeah. And of countries. And it kind of reminds I mean, you're doing something a lot more extreme and much more talented, but it kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, but it starts there. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if you remember those little books that they used to have at the hobby stores that it would be a cutout village or a cutout castle. And it was all flat pieces and you'd cut them out and you'd bend them and you put them together and eventually you'd end up with this huge structure. And I adored those, you know, at 10 years old, that was what I would save my money up for. (laughs) So I guess I'm just doing the same thing now. I make my own Legos. (laughs) (laughs) But I love it. I mean, you've got, you've got so many, I mean, I don't know if you call them like sculpted paintings or, or what, but you've got volcanoes and you've got oceans and islands and then you've got cities and it's phenomenal, man. Like I love it. I, I, I try. I've gone through a couple of metamorphous stages as an artist that, you know, are completely different from each one, but they've all kind of headed towards this. I used to use the word sculpted painting all the time, but people didn't really understand what I was saying, that a lot of these pieces are meant to hang on a wall. You're supposed to see them laterally, not vertically, (laughs) or or the other way around. And people weren't getting it. So I went to just saying, I'm a sculptor. You know, and you can hang my sculpture on the wall, <laughs> you know, because people just weren't getting it the other way. That's true, man. Absolutely. Yep. Well, I just made a decision that I'm leaving the pre-chat in. Okay. But I am going to go ahead and do my wacky introduction in the middle of all this. So everybody out there <laughs> listening uh, with me, Heath Armstrong, right now with, with Gray Cross, welcome. We heard you. Uh, I guess you heard our pre-chat. You don't get to hear a lot of those. So it's pretty interesting how we get to know each other and and sometimes I have to leave it in because we hit some interesting points. And I think that if I do leave this one in, you'll get to know uh, Gray Cross or Gray's personality a little bit. And so I'm going to I'm gonna bomb him with my normal intro here so you can see where I go to start from. And then we can continue with this amazing conversation afterwards. Does that sound good? Works for me. All right. <laughs> from the wiggity wild, wet and crazy city of New Orleans, which never, ever sleeps. Where the art and music shines so bright it'll knock you off your silly little feet. He's here to inspire and share his beliefs on the conscious mind and how it affects our creativity. He's a photographer. He's a super duper artist. And he's also published several novels under the name Gray Cross. A skittamarinkity dinkity dink. A skittamarinkity doo. Gray Cross, yoo-hoo. Are the entrepreneur now, man? Hello again. Hey there. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> I got to put it in, man. The people love it. It would not be your show without a fantastic intro like that. I know. I, I will have to say, I had one. I had one guest on, uh, a brilliant artist. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And his interview is not released yet, as we're talking right now, but it'll be out soon. Mm-hmm. Enrique Bertulani's from Brazil, and he was just such a brilliant mind, like. I never got the chance to do the intro because he literally just started talking and and it didn't stop. And I probably said, I, I, I want to say I probably got, and I talk a lot. I probably got maybe four or five sentences in, in an hour and a half. And these are 30 minute shows. I couldn't wow. even get it. Yeah. And he kept saying, for example, and it was all really interesting, crazy, like above my level stuff. And but then he would say, for example, and move into the next one. And I was like, wow, how, I can't stop him because this is so good. But <laughs> but yeah, it's it pretty interesting. So I like to get the intros in. And hey, man, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm pumped up. I'm jealous you're down in New Orleans. Uh, you've you've obviously been a serial creative and you've got an amazing history. And we've been talking about your artwork in the pre-chat, which people heard. But it is fantastic. And, and it's it's something so, so different from everybody else. And. Everyone can get on 
on uh well I'm on a different site now. I was just on your blog. It took me to behance.net slash graycross, which I yeah, think is where that, your gallery is hosted, but graycrossstudio.blogspot.com. Correct. Take you to the immortal artist, and you've got your your portfolio and your works in progress and, and your you know Twitter and Facebook on there. So everybody get on there and check that out. If you're driving, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Wait. This can wait. All this will be on the show notes at artsynow.com forward slash graycross, and that's G-R-E-Y. And so, yeah, man, I, I'm pumped to have you on. I'm pumped to hear your story. Uh, if you want to start, I know we've talked a little bit about art already and, and sort of your creations, but if you want to start, kind of tell us about your background. And, and I know you mentioned that you were a writer and you wrote under that name and you didn't find much success at all. And now you're really into visual arts. Uh, were you always into visual arts? And, and how did this sort of transpire since you were a, a child? How did you develop into the person you are today? Well, I loved the arts when I was young, but like most, I kind of was told that wasn't the way to go real early on and that I needed to to be logical about what I was doing. And as I matured, I just kind of got out of it like most, uh, you know, a lot of kids do these days. They have that joy early and then they just kind of lose it. Isn't that terrible? Let's talk about that for a second because I've had guests on who like basically dedicated their entire life because that's what happened to them as a child. Like yeah. Dr. George Seike, he he literally dedicated his entire life to bringing creativity to children because he had those strict teachers that told him that it wasn't possible. Exactly. I mean, it, well, it's insane, isn't it? It is, it is. When I mentor new artists and I talk to them, one of the first things I say to them is, you've got talent, you've got, amazing ability you can take it somewhere if you can get past the stumbling blocks of life that are going to be put in front of you mm -hmm. you know if you don't stay right on task and and not let the other things in life and people telling you oh you can't do that that's not what you're supposed to do you know then you can you can take your talent somewhere but most people get lost along the way and it starts when you're a teenager it starts even younger than that yeah and for a child, it's detrimental because all you are is this this little being who's very curious about everything, which we talked about. But mm -hmm. when you want to learn about something that interests you, you should be able to learn about that because it interests you. You shouldn't be told no, because as a child, you're going to adapt and say, OK, well, that's not something I'm allowed to do. And it's probably not something I'm supposed to do because you're listening to somebody who's above you. Exactly. And, and so you take that the rest of your life. And I mean, think about all these kids out there that could have been brilliant musicians or artists, but because they were told that they couldn't make it that way, they never picked up the paintbrush. They never picked up the guitar or the, or the piano. And yeah. their entire life was spent, you know, working in a factory or doing something else that they absolutely hated. It's just so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was fortunate in that uh, I, I got married relatively young. I was like 19 or 20. And I tried to do the normal, everyday, middle-class type thing that you're supposed to do. Get a job, start a family, things of that nature. And I was miserable. I was just absolutely miserable. And I wasn't even sure why I was miserable. I didn't know what it was that I was searching for, but it just wasn't there. Yeah. And I was married for 13 years and had a really great relationship. It was wonderful. And my ex-wife is still one of my closest friends, which blows everybody's mind. <laughs> but I knew it wasn't for me. And when we finally did part ways, I went totally off in the opposite direction. I took almost 10 years and did nothing except drive from one side of the country to the other, back and forth, and learned what the world was and learned who I was. And that's when all of a sudden I realized, wow, I, I I, I'm, I've been totally approaching my life in the wrong direction, but it took a lot of soul searching along the way and a lot of miles on a car yeah, <laughs> to be incredible. able to get to that point, you know?
What did you do? I mean, when you were driving back and forth for all those years, I'm sure you ran into some pretty amazing experiences, but did you learn anything that really stuck with you the rest of the time that turned you into who you are now? Well, I learned to take chances. I think that was the biggest thing. I learned that it's okay to set off with nothing but a few belongings in the backseat of the car. Yeah. And, and not worry about belongings or anything like that and just survive. Thankfully, I worked for American Online at the time, and I was a moder- moderator for them. And what I would do is I would go to the old-style chat boards for the teenagers, and I would clean out all the old posts when we used to do it by hand. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I would monitor them each day, and I had like 50 different boards. There were probably 5,000 posts I needed to scan through, but I could do it any time during the day. As long as I had an internet connection, and this was still at the point where there really wasn't anything like Wi-Fi, you had dial-up, and you had a few hot spots for hotels. So a lot of times I would just park in a hotel parking lot, log on on my laptop, work for the four or five hours I needed, and then depart again and get back on the road. You know, so you really learn to to just learn with your you know without any other resources around you, and, and you know. I would do real crazy things that freak people out to these days. You know, I, in the middle of, of winter, I climbed to the top of the Sierra mountains as far as I could go on this dead end road and camped in the snow in my tent. And, and, and I mean, with bears wandering around and stuff and had just the most wonderful time of my life doing it. I, I was in death Valley in the middle of the summer. It was 130 degrees. It was so hot. It superheated the air in my air mattress and my tent oh and my I God. couldn't sleep on the tent. I had to go out and lay in a chair, you know, things like that. The people are like, why would you put yourself through that? Because you need those experiences. You need it. You know? and it's like the most super gratifying thing ever. I'm sure men and, and becoming, coming into reality with, with just, I, I love how you mentioned that you can leave without having any belongings thing, because yeah. I think in today's world, everybody is caught up in materials and how much they can buy to impress people that they don't even like, you know? And, yep. and what I started doing recently was going through a transition of becoming a minimalist and getting rid of, you know, all the stuff in my house. And I've actually mm-hmm. been playing a game that the minimalists themselves, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with who they are, but they yeah. posted on their website, this game where you can start at day one, you get rid of one thing, day two, <laughs> you get rid of two things. And so I had already gotten rid of a lot in my house before I started this game. And so now we're on day 13 again. And, you know, those, those start compounding where, we, you know, day 10, 11, 12, 13, you're getting like, you know, it's like 40 something items <laughs> that you're getting rid of in four days. So it's starting to become a little bit of an Easter egg hunt, but it is the most gratifying thing ever. So being yeah. in a position where you're out there in the middle of the wilderness uh, by yourself or were you, were you by yourself? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that kind of, I mean, that's, that's like so inspiring to me. Like that's something that I would do. 100% I would go do that for the experience and yeah it and, was such a great experience and it was really nice because I had friends all over the place the the online community was really tight at that particular time American Online and CompuServe and these things really formed some early tight communities and I had friends all over the country and I literally would I lived in Washington DC I, I rented a, an apartment at the at the bottom of a house. I didn't even rent it. They just like gave it to me. But it was like a little little sub apartment. And I would spend time there two or three weeks. And then I would get in the car and I would travel all the way across the country and visit people that I knew along the way. And then I would end up in California, up in the Sierras, with friends that live there. And I would stay with them for a week or so. And then I'd turn around and do it all over again. <laughs> You know, and do a different route every single time. And it was great. It, it, it just, it, it taught me to be me. And that's the most important thing that anybody can learn. So how, how did discovering yourself contribute to your creativity? Well, I didn't even have a camera or anything at the time that I was traveling. Um, it, it just, I, I, it was just me. And I kept having these urges to want to create along the way and I started writing 
And I started keeping notes in the car, which freaks my partner out when I talk about it, because <laughs> I would keep a notebook and a pen right there. And I would take my notes while I was traveling. And then when I got to a place where I could sit down, then I would I would uh, put the story together and you know write the next chapter or two. And I loved it, but I just I wasn't cut out to be a writer. But that was pretty much the only creative outlet that I had while I was traveling. And then when I finally settled down and came to New Orleans, I realized I really like doing photography. And people kept going, you know, this stuff is good. You should really, you should be a professional. It's like, yeah, I'll be a professional with my little Instamatic camera. And I realized <laughs> it didn't matter if it was an Instamatic or a $5,000 camera. It's what your eye is and what creativity you can come up with for it. And I started doing photography on the side and it became my living. And I was a professional photographer here in the city for about five, six years. And then I just got plain sick and tired of the business of photography. And I was sick and tired of people coming up to me and going, that's a great photo. You must have a great Photoshop program. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, no, I don't have a Photoshop program. In fact, I've never even used Photoshop. I use a whole different program completely. But I didn't like that being associated that it was all a program. Yeah. That there was no creativity whatsoever to it. And one day I said, I I've had it with this. I am no longer going to be a photographer. I am going to be an artist and I'm going to try this. And I started painting and I've never looked back. Wow. Yeah. How inspiring. I, I mean, it's, you're <laughs> saying that you basically made a switch. You made a decision and you did it and you've never looked back and you're you're being persistent with it. And look how far it's gotten you. I mean, you're you've created, I don't know how many pieces now but they all look like they've taken a massive amount of time and probably were a lot of fun doing uh, i could i mean i would put those all over my wall and have them sticking out you know some of those pieces might hit somebody in the head but i think i think they're brilliant thank you it, they, I, I just i have such a passion for it and my partner's always saying to me that i i, I must I must try to create the hardest possible art I can <laughs> J just to mess myself up because I will create a project and I will get this idea in my head that I have no skills for yeah. and, and have to really think through almost in an engineering capacity to be able to do. And I'm not talking like buildings or things. I'm talking just anything. <laughs> and, and, and I still, I, I just enjoy the challenge of it so much. Yeah. You know, and once I've done it, I may go back and do something similar to it, but now I want the next challenge. <laughs> you know, and I, I sit down and figure out what it is and go on from there. Well, uh, what, can, you, can you do me a favor and kind of describe to the listeners what, what sort of your style is? Because I know I'm not very good at doing it, but it's so interesting and, and sort of like your process of how you, you get this canvas and start building onto it, maybe some of the materials that you're using. Well, I went through can, – can I back up just a little bit? Absolutely. Okay, I went through three stages so far in my artistic career. The first one is I wanted to create art that people could touch. It really bothered me that you'd go to a museum and you couldn't <laughs> reach out and touch the yeah. art. So I wanted to try to create something that was sturdy enough but artistic enough that people could come up and lay their hands on it. And that was the first kind of metamorphosis that I went through as an artist was a whole series of pieces like that. But what resulted from it is the art that I was creating wasn't one-dimensional. It was three-dimensional and there were, you know, it, it was more sculpture than it was painting. But it started as touchable art. And then I was working on a piece one day. It, it was a, a little glass like a squared off candle holder thing. It was about six inches wide. And I had been working on a piece and I laid the piece down on this glass piece or this glass vase and the piece melted to it. <laughs> and I picked it up and I went, well, darn, but that's kind of cool. And I thought, wow, what if I put a light behind that? What would it look like? And it looked really amazing. Yeah. And I got thinking, wow, what if I created art that you lit from the back as well as from the front? And I switched my metamorphosis and went through this stage of luminescent art where you could light it from the front and it was one thing. Or you could backlight it and it was done on a heavy parchment. So 
the light shone through it. And it would create a completely different effect if you looked at it from the backside, you know, or looked at it with the light from the back. And I, I just love doing that. And I still do it from time to time. And then I started to phase out of that one. After about a year of doing it, I loved it. But all of a sudden, I got just incensed. And this is going to sound crazy. I got incensed with Crayola crayons. Are you there? That's not crazy okay. at all. <laughs> and well, but of course I couldn't just do it the normal way and color between the lines. I started melting the crayons onto the parchment, onto onto the the, the see-through parchment. Hmm. And then backlighting it to create effects with the wax. <laughs> and wow. then I found out that Crayola made a metallic crayon. In, in a variety of colors. So I kind of went into that metallic phase and started creating just these immense pieces of art that were created by using a soldering iron to melt the crayon in the pattern that I wanted it, and then a hairdryer to scatter it and melt it the way that I wanted it to look on the canvas, and started creating these five and six foot pieces <laughs> that were basically crayons although you look at it and you have no idea that's what you're looking at um so i went into that phase and then when i started to come out of that i got way into the three-dimensional art and that's kind of where i've been now for the past year year and a half is just creating these bigger and bigger canvases that well let me give you an example of of one of the ones i'm working on right now is an eight foot by four foot canvas and it's a cityscape. There's approximately 80 small miniaturized high rises and buildings on this thing. Yeah, I was looking at you can look at it on his site. He puts up his current work and I was looking at it earlier. It's amazing. Yeah, I try to, to post work in progress photos because especially with this one and with most of these bigger pieces, every little part to it is a project on its own. Each one of these buildings would take me two to five days just to create the building itself. And then it becomes part of the bigger canvas. You know, so that's kind of where I've been for the past year is just creating these just massive three-dimensional projects. And not just buildings. Um, I have a Stonehenge that was the oh, first yeah. frame that I created that was a double frame. It's, it's four feet high by four feet high, but two feet up, it goes one level higher. So it's actually a two-dimensional frame and then the, the the canvas, you know, the painting is put on top of it, and it's all canvas. I don't I don't do much on boards at all because I don't know. I just like working on canvas, and I think it's cool to be able to go, yeah, that's actually a canvas. That's a painting. <laughs> People just kind of their eyes get wide. <laughs> yeah, you can put that on your wall. Yeah. So. So I, I think I think a lot of artists have this amazing sort of underlying talent to convey messages through their work, whether the audience can really perceive them as messages or not. But would you would you say that there is somewhat of a message that you try to convey when you're actually putting these together? Is there something larger going on in your head um, or are you just in that creative atmosphere where you're just piling stuff on and, and making it uh, whatever's bleeding out of your mind? Uh, both actually. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm famous for saying that there are a million and one hidden meanings to absolutely everything I do. There are so many hidden meanings in a piece of art that I create that I forget the hidden meanings. And I'll go back and look at something a year later and go, oh, <laughs> oh, I forgot <laughs> totally about that. You know, um, an example with the current project that I'm working on, which is a, a three dimensional 
it's it's it started as urban decay, but it's kind of turned into this almost medieval ruin. But parts of it are newer, like like you'd find in a in a city in the modern age, and parts of it are old, like you'd find them in a medieval ruin. And one of the things that I'm working on right now is some graffiti that's actually on the side of one of these buildings. And one of the pieces is a is a giant butterfly. And underneath, I'm going to put the words in graffiti style, butterfly effect. <laughs> and see if anybody catches the meaning of it ever that I'm saying is that this thing is sitting in four or five different time dimensions. It's not just one dimension of time. But I, I constantly do stuff like that. On my eight-foot canvas, I don't know if you saw the pictures of it. Did you see the black cross that's in the middle of it? Yeah, yeah. And, and how the city is darkened out in the middle. Yeah, I still um, got it pulled up, too. Yeah, the, the concept for this piece came from Salt Lake City. Um, there was an evangelical conference that's going to take place, I believe, next year. That's are just a bunch of real radical evangelicals that are just <laughs> really upsetting a lot of the people in the city of Salt Lake. And there's been protests about it, and they don't want this group in there. This is a group that tried to hold the same meeting in Moscow last year. Uh, and and, and uh, one in Australia that got all kinds of picketing. And I got thinking to myself, wow, I want to make something in solidarity with these people who are really upset that these people, these angry people are coming into their city. And that's how the concept of this piece came along. That big cross in the middle. In the middle of the city, yeah. Yeah, represents the darkness. That's why the piece is called the Mark of the Beast. So indeed, when somebody looks at this piece, they can go, oh, this is a really cool city. It's like a little miniature city. But there's a whole bigger, darker message that's in there. And if you look at everything, you all of a sudden realize, wow, there's, there's a much bigger message that's going on here. You know, so yes, I do that constantly. How long uh, does it take you to, to, before you go from like the beginning of one of these projects to the end? Because this looks like it's like uh, could take a long time. I mean, it's amazing. Um, the average is about 150 hours. Um, I kind of keep a casual time frame of how much time it's taking. Um, the piece that I finished just prior to the cityscape. Um, was a it's called the Winter Fortress, and it was the first time I had built a frame that was in an octagon shape, and it has this giant three dimensional fortress. It's in the middle of winter. It's all done with pearlescent colors and looks like snow and stuff. That one took me three hundred and thirty six hours to create. Oh wow! And I'm really frustrated with it, and I don't think it's my best work. And it's actually going to go back up on the drawing board at some time, and I'm going to do more with it. Yeah, but yeah, they take an awfully long time. It's one of those things where before I go to bed at night, I I consciously fall asleep thinking about what I want to do the following day so that when I wake up, I'm ready to go. <laughs> and yeah. we work anywhere from 14 to 18 hours a day, you know, in the studio. It's just it's one of those things that that's that's our life. <laughs> My partner does the same thing. We have we have three rooms for our studio the middle room is supplies the front room is my studio the back room is his studio yeah. and 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 we just we go in we do our own thing <laughs> we're totally happy you know, and that's the way it works what do you think the hardest part about all of this is i mean do you do you do you run into struggles sometimes what would you say the 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 biggest battle you face in doing all of this this whole life of creativity is staying alive <laughs> it's it's that simple i because i i create to create i don't create to sell although my pieces have prices on them and some of them do sell but i don't create with that in mind i create for the sheer joy of being able to make something mm -hmm. and struggling to survive sometimes is difficult and struggling to be able to have the proper supplies to do things is very difficult do you, do you have any habits as far as daily routines go? I know you say as you fall asleep, you think about what you want to get done the next day. And I do the same thing, except I actually will literally write down the two main things that I want to accomplish the next day on a board. And I won't do anything else until I do those two things first. Uh, yes. As an artist and as a creative, and I know everybody's different in the way they approach 
creativity. Some people do it part-time. Some people do it full-time like you and spend 12, 14 hours a day doing it. Mm -hmm. Do you have any secrets? It could even be something as simple as meditating or just getting into a conscious state uh, that, that helps you stay on track with this? Well, I, I pay real attention to my intuition. Um, if I'm working on something, even if it's if the particular thing that I'm doing on that day is really good, if it doesn't feel right, I pay attention to that. And I used to not. I just kind of struggle on and go, okay, I can make this work. I already put 12 hours into it. Um, but if I pay attention to, to that particular fact and listen to my intuition – it makes things flow a whole lot smoother. And I've noticed now that my subconscious will pick up on something long before my consciousness will. And if I listen to that, I might not know specifically what it is that's bothering me, yeah. but I'll stop and I'll, re I'll reconsider what my plans are. And that's a great thing about art is you can create something and you can totally wipe it out and do something different and it's not harming anything. You know, now, there are people that go, oh, my God, that was so beautiful. Why would you destroy it? Because it wasn't right. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, intuition, paying attention to dreams is another big one for me. Not only because I focus on what I want to do just before I go to sleep, but because I'll often pick up on really great ideas. And if I don't write them down, I'll forget about them. So I keep a journal log you know, of just constant flow of ideas. And I really have to struggle sometimes when I start a new project to decide which one I want to do. <laughs> well, if you ever struggle again, you can just head over to your little spot on the map there and check out the Evangel Ev Evangelical World Conference that you got put in. <laughs> they can solve all your problems, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure they can. <laughs> well, you know, But yeah, so that, that that's that's the basic stuff. And also as an artist, I have to say, Pay attention to the stupid things. We get real hung up on we have to have exactly the right supplies to do things. Sometimes you got to be a poor starving artist to yeah. appreciate that that creativity can come from the craziest things. You know, Anything I'm sitting and everything. Yeah, I'm sitting here. I've got I've got the eight foot canvas in front of me, and there's two places on here where I used old used light bulbs. You'd never know they were light bulbs to look at them, but that's what they are, you know, and, and others would go, oh, I'm just going to throw this light bulb when it's done. Well, I stuck it in a box and kept it, you know, and if yeah, it sticks yeah. around too long, I throw it away. I don't hoard, but I do try to keep things that may end up being handy later on. And I think a lot of artists just get hung up with the fact that they have to use what the professional artist uses to get ahead and they don't. Yeah. You can use anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do Dr. George Seke, who I had on here, he, he was the same way. He literally threw away all of his paintbrushes and just started picking up everything around him and using it for artwork and, and yeah. he stresses to teach children that as well. And then I've also had guests on who, who literally would go, you know, dumpster diving for pieces of plywood to paint on because they <laughs> didn't have the money to go buy canvases and that worked for them. It and, does. And it's amazing where you can find options if you really try. We keep a map on our computers of what the different locations in the city for trash pickup are. And sometimes <laughs> we'll just go out in the middle of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning, because we work nights. We work yeah. usually till dawn. We'll go out at 3 o'clock in the morning and go dumpster picking in the neighborhoods to see if we see anything interesting. <laughs> but we have a rule. If it sticks around three months and we haven't used it, and we really don't have any good ideas for it, then it goes back in the trash or into the recycle. But yeah, it's amazing what you can find to use, you know? So are you in Salt Lake? Am I in Salt Lake? Yeah. No, I'm in New Orleans. New Orleans. Oh, that's right. We already yeah. covered that. For, I, yep, yep. I got this in my head. You mentioned Salt Lake earlier, and for some reason oh, yeah. I thought maybe you were there right now. Nope, nope, nope. I'm in New Orleans. Sorry. My brain fries sometimes. <laughs> that's all right. You, you interview a lot of people. <laughs> Well, if, if you had to spend, and this is a question I like to ask, and I've, and I've asked it before because I think it's always interesting, especially with artists, but if, if you could spend a little bit of time creating something with anybody from the past or present, this could be one of your biggest creative role models, or this could be somebody you're making completely up, but who, who do you think you would choose and what do you think you would create? 
Ooh, that's a rough question. It's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to create something with another artist because I don't think we artists are very solitary where it comes to stuff like that. I think we have a hard time sharing. <laughs> but there are artists that I would like to study under and and just watch their process. Um uh, the the one that comes to mind is uh, I, I can never pronounce her name Yayo uh, I think it's Katsumi she's a, an artist from Japan mm-hmm. and she's literally I'm pretty sure she's probably schizophrenic um, in the in the the actual psychiatric definition of it yeah and she makes these just immense canvases that sometimes span whole walls of dots and in crazy little things and she just amazes me and that's how she balances herself that's how she keeps her her sanity and keeps one foot in this world is by creating this amazing art and i i that, that's one person i would just love to just study under and just watch her not even ask questions just watch her process yeah it's you amazingly know? fascinating some of the people that are out there including yourself well, thank this you. is why I love doing this show so much because I actually do get to sit down and talk to people like you, and it's it's always ultra inspiring. So, well, I appreciate that. I, I I think it's really really important as artists. I see more and more artists that are so guarded about what they do. They're guarded about their secrets on how they create things. <laughs> They're guarded that you know somebody is just going to steal, steal this. It, yeah. I'm sorry. We're artists. If I could do the same exact thing as you, and it's going to be completely different, you know. Unless I'm a forger, that's a different matter. (laughs) I mean, I'm a huge fan of being completely transparent and 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 playing by the by the concept that there are no rules. You can do whatever you want. Nobody's going to steal what you're doing. I mean, there's just too many too many things out there. And if somebody does, then they'll get what's coming to them. You know what I mean? Yeah, they sure will. You should never be afraid of holding anything back like that because people like to see the inside. They like to see the transparency. They like the relationship where they can actually sit down and relate as a person <laughs> and as a human to the story that you have. And that's what really that really draws people in. Yeah. Well, and I'm not very good at that. I'm the grumpy, reclusive artist. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm just happy being in my studio. But I do really try hard. But I notice, like, especially on Twitter – if I post something that's really personal, like I'm having a really bad day and I can't break through into my creativity, those are the things that people relate to the most. Absolutely. You know, but if I want to be the philosopher artist and put something in, nobody pays any attention to it. Yeah. You know, but, well, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I'm pumped that you've been on and we're, we're running out of time here, Greg. I know that it goes by so fast and, and I really appreciate it. But there are two more things I want to hit before we go. Sure. Uh, one is I was reading earlier about how you have this future plan to that you would like to design a course at some point to to match artists of talent with children of talent, especially in the LGBT community, where, where many children right. are cast out and lose their natural desires to create art in the battle to find yeah. their true identities and and one big reason is I've got I've got four siblings that are actually gay, mm-hmm. and they're most of them are artists, which is pretty amazing in some way <laughs> or another. And I do think that that is just a huge point. And in what you're what you're doing there, I'm just wondering if that was just a thought of something you would like to do, or if it's actually something that you've been acting on yet, or what what really is your plan there? I've not acted on it yet. I've sketched out what I want to do, but basically. There's a turning point in LGBT in the LGBT culture right now. There was a point where it, it was really important with the youth that you help them come out. You were there to be a, a mentor and a guidance point for them that life can get better, you know. And but that is almost starting to phase out. Not yet, but it's going to to the point where children are going to know it's all right. They can be whatever they want to be. But the problem is we're helping kids come out, but they're just left to fend on their own once they do it. And what are they doing? They're getting into the drug culture. Mm -hmm. They're getting into the club culture. And and they're not doing anything with their lives. And they've got just as much potential as everybody else does. So what I'd like to do is start a movement where we start to mentor LGBT kids 
in developing the creative skills they have, be it music, be it art, whatever, you know, it, whatever that creative talent is that they might have, fostering it and getting out there and, and showing them not only how to do it, but matching them with the people who have the skills in those areas, you know, and, and that's something that I think that community and that subculture is sadly lacking right now. How incredible. And cheers to you for, for putting that into the works and, and, and attacking that. Cause I think that there's a huge need for something like that in this world. And, and I 100% support it. So you should Thanks. probably I like, uh, I think if you put together a well enough plan, you could probably throw that up on one of those crowdfunding sites and possibly get a little bit of support from somebody. I know it's getting harder and harder by the day, but that's a huge issue. It really yeah, is. It is. My little sister, she's, she's funny uh, because she, she created these, she's extremely liberal, but she created these uh, stickers and, and she did it and they were called, uh, it was for a design for a candy bar or something. But her, her point was they were called pray the gay away because she's in Eastern right. Tennessee and there's all these people out there. That literally think that it's a disease that you can pray away. Yeah. And, and so she's created these, these uh, candy bar wrappers that look really good. And I was like, you know what? You should put these on a website for pray the <laughs> And what you should do is target these, these radical churches and things like that and get them to buy them thinking that they're supporting some kind of anti-gay fund and then use that right. money to, to fund something in the gay community and then bring it out with the press later. And oh, I, love I go, it. that would blow up. And she was like, I'd be afraid. These people are crazy. They'd probably come kill me. And I'm like, yeah, you're, well, you're you know, yeah. that is actually a worry that, that is becoming increasingly prevalent in, in the LGBT society. Yeah. Um, my, my, uh, partner says, you know, uh, that my goal in life is to have somebody create a fatwa against me, you know, cause <laughs> I, I tackle some really, really rough themes in my art and I'm not afraid to go there. I enjoy going there, you know, and, and but you really, you know, I, I often say the caged beast is the most dangerous. And right now I think that segment of our population thinks they're losing. They're not, they're gaining from all of this, but they think that they're losing and they think they're caged in and therefore they're becoming much more dangerous. So yeah, your sister does have a concern there that's valid. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's insanely scary, especially in some of these areas of the country, like uh, the extreme Bible belts in, in the mountains in eastern Kentucky and Alabama and some of these areas that are just it, it's really scary. Yeah. Uh, and you've had a history of hate crimes and things like that. So you sure did. Well, I'm getting ready to write a blog article. I've been writing it, but I'm not ready to release it yet on the fact that there's a big stigma right now every time somebody uses the word Nazi in relationship to LGBT. But what I'm seeing is reminiscent of what the German people went through in the 1930s in that they, they were literally taught to hate the Jews. Yeah. And I'm seeing the same thing occurring right now in the LGBT population. It's almost eerily identical. And I don't like to use the word Nazi because I don't think that's the right word. But there's definitely a parallel that's there, you know, and, and I kind of get it double. I don't know if you read anything in my, my bio that my partner is transgender. And so I see it not only from the LGBT standpoint, but I see it from his eyes all the time. Mm -hmm. And this massive stigma that's going on and this just hate that's going on. It's just, it's scary. It's really scary. Yeah, yep. and, your, and your partner, Poppy Zebright. Well, doesn't go by that name anymore. It goes by the name of Billy Martin. But Billy yes, Martin. That, that was my partner's original name when my partner was a writer. And my partner put out massive amounts of successful, popular yeah, books. Yeah, he's got a big Wikipedia page. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's still very well known and <laughs> very popular and has his own fan base. You know, and his story is very public. You know, but his story in turn has become my story. And we've kind of. You know, we walk down this road together now, and it's really opened my eyes in so many more ways. I thought my eyes were already open, you know, but this has just opened them all the more, you yeah. know? So Absolutely. It's, it's, we'll put a link to the sh to that in the show notes as well on artsynow.com forward slash Gray Cross. And if you had to battle Godzilla, 
How do you think you would use your creativity or talents to defeat that big, crazy bastard? You have no idea how much this question has perplexed me since I read it on your website. But I have come up with a solution to this. The solution is the same solution that they use to fight giant forest fires, except that you're not going to use water. You're going to use a container that's slightly heated, and you're going to fill it with super glue. The heat will keep the glue soluble, and you take the helicopter up, and you release the glue on top of the monster, and eventually you get enough glue on it, and the monster will cease to move. <laughs> so that is my solution to this. And believe me, there was a lot of soul searching that went into that. <laughs> I think that might be the most interestingly creative answer I've gotten yet. So congratulations. You put I had some work into that. We did. We did. Yeah, I won't take total credit. Well, I'll take credit for the concept, but the actual logistics of it and engineering, I, I sat down with Billy and we worked through it and went, okay, is this logistically possible? And yes, it is. So that's my answer. <laughs> awesome, man. I'm so pumped that, that you got to bust that one out there. And I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation so much. And is there is there anywhere that our... Uh, listeners can find you or get in contact with you before we can say goodbye. I know we mentioned your website earlier. Uh, do you yeah, have, the, you, you want to put anything else out there? The website is the most centralized point for everything else. It's the nexus that goes out to all my other areas. But right now, Twitter tends to be my biggest social network and I use it incessantly at this point. Now that I understand it, it took me years to really grasp the concept of Twitter. Um, but that's, one of the places that's the easiest to get me. But through my website, just leaving a message on there, and that goes to my my portfolio and everything else and all the ridiculous ideas that come out of my mind each day. <laughs> Believe me, there's a lot of them. <laughs> me too, man. I feel you. Absolutely. <laughs> Do you have any favorite closing advice or what? let's say creative works that you're a big fan of or maybe even books or anything that you've learned a lot from that – you think our audience would find interesting? I don't know about words of wisdom. Books that I would suggest is there's a book written in the 90s by a man named Peter Schwartz called Art of the Long View. And I think it's particularly prevalent for our society these days, especially artists, to remember that when somebody looks at a piece of your work or you put a piece of your work out there onto a social network or onto a website – that's there for eternity. So when you put stuff out there, put it out there for the long view. Remember, somebody may be looking at this 200 years from now. All this information is still going to be out there. It may be in a different format at that time, but it's still there. It's not like the old days of an artist where all you have is just the accounts of other people that worked with them. Everything you are and everything you will be is out there. So take the long view in what you're doing as an artist and try to plan accordingly along the way for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. And I'll put, yeah. we'll put all that in, in the show notes as well. So again, everybody out there, uh, don't, don't sit down and look at everybody else and think that you have to be creative the way that they are. Mm -mm. Get out there and, and be yourself. Get, get these things that are all around you, and put them together and start creating things. I mean, you you made me want to go to my basement and just start taking light bulbs out of my ceiling and seeing what I can do with them. You know, I'm going to start saving all the stuff that I don't need to be and seeing if I can't come up with something. But uh, you you can find creativity in anything. So don't be scared of doing it. Just get out there, put one foot forward, do something crazy, do something funky, and always break the rules. But first, break the rulers. And, and Gray, man, thank you so much for being the Archerpreneur now. And I got to be a little bit quiet because, you know, my girlfriend's sleeping. She's Oh, well, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, always remember to keep it funky, man. Well, I really appreciate it, Heath. It's been a great experience. Absolutely. And let's definitely keep in touch. I sure will.
There you heard it! Episode 79 of the Entrepreneur Now podcast in the books. I am happy that you made it this far. And if you did, you are a champion. And I hope you got all the value in the world from this episode. Gray's the man. And, and I, I hope in the future I can get him on again. But for now, break the rules. But first, break the rulers. And remember, every day is a bonus round. So slow down and enjoy something beautiful with your pants off. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Arch of Her Newer Now. For all the show notes, it's artsynow.com. If you want to be a guest on the show, email me at create at artsynow.com or on Twitter at HB underscore Armstrong. The music, well, that's shaky feeling. Check them out. Ventura, California. Ta-ta! Keep it funky.